<laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what you are about to witness is an absolute clusterfuck. Hello, Haunted Heart listeners. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Kenny, your ghost host for this evening, and I'm here with Katie. Oh, that's right. Katie isn't with us this evening. Now, don't worry, folks. She isn't dead. She hasn't been kidnapped. She's not sitting at the bottom of a well. She's not getting the hose. Well, she might be getting the hose, but that's a different story. No, Katie is away this week. She has descended back to her home in the seventh circle of hell. No. She's actually in Reno, but I'm pretty sure you can see hell from there. I know, I know. Why? I have no clue. Suffice it to say, nobody ever really has a clue when it comes to Katie. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breath. So, instead of you not having a dumpster fire delivered to you, I thought I would put together a a non-episode, if you will, in which I will be reading you a couple creepy pastas in a dramatic fashion as to hopefully entertain you, frighten you, or just to make you laugh at my fucking terrible acting skills. Now, joining me for this ride will be Digitally Spliced Katie. Say hello, Digitally Spliced Katie. What? What happened? I always say I like a funny man. Digitally Spliced Katie will be helping me out with our reactions and thoughts to the creepypastas we'll be reading tonight. Are you ready, Digitally Spliced Katie? Where does the shit train go? This is real sad, y'all. Uh, and probably a sneak peek into my future. So, without further ado, here is our first creepypasta. It is called Broadcast Interruption. You might already have heard of the TV broadcast hijacking in Seneca, South Carolina. The stories gained pretty wide currency on the internet, and part of the broadcast is available on YouTube, assuming it hasn't been taken down for whatever reason. For the uninitiated, the Seneca hijacking is one of the lesser-known broadcast signal intrusions. It was big news here, but the nation news media barely touched on it. Anyway. I've decided to jot down my impressions of the whole thing, even though other eyewitnesses have already described it more eloquently than I could. I was home on winter break when it happened, making chemistry flashcards in front of the TV. No one else was around. After watching the upteenth Law & Order rerun, I got bored and started channel surfing. A couple minutes later, I stumbled upon this shitty public access channel where Bizarrely enough, my old high school Latin teacher was reciting a poem, wearing this dorky three-cornered hat. I watched for a few minutes and had a good laugh. I remembered him as a pretty serious guy, 
Not the sort of person who'd embarrass himself in public like this. When suddenly, there was this staticky crackle, and the screen cut to this multicolored test pattern. Before I had time to change the channel, there's another crackle, and this weird cartoon shows up on screen. The animation style was detailed, but kind of jiggly and rough. It reminded me of those old anti-drug PSAs. Anyway, it seemed normal enough at first. An ordinary looking middle class family eating breakfast together around a kitchen table. There was a mom with an old fashioned hairdo, a, a dad, two cherub faced kids, a boy and a girl, all very Norman Rockwell. The family is making banal small talk, the dad complains about his day at the office, the kids prattle on about soccer practice, and so on. Gradually though, the scene starts to get slightly sinister. A green light is seeping through the open window, and the family starts to acquire a jaundiced, unhealthy look. Their skin changes color, and their eyes become sunken. In the background, a droning radio broadcast slowly becomes perceptible. The announcer gives the date as November 15th, 2017, and starts to go on and on about some strange crisis. You can barely hear what he's saying. He says something about a green light, melting flesh, mutations, strange shapes emerging from the sea. Again and again, the phrase, report to the nearest shelter immediately, is audible. Still, the family keeps eating breakfast as if nothing was happening. And here's where it gets really macabre. The family finishes eating breakfast and the mom loads the kids into a minivan. By now, they look really unhealthy. Their bodies are skeletally thin. The whites of their eyes are a sickly yellowish color and their hair is disheveled. The car drives through a landscape bathed in the green glow from before. Strange shapes bob in and out of the screen, but you can't quite tell what they are, and all the buildings the car passes look weathered and deserted. Finally, the car stops at a playground, and the mom drops off the kids before driving away. There are large, odd-colored rocks all over the ground, and moaning can be heard in the distance. The kids hang mirthlessly on the bungee bars for a while. Eventually, the camera pans over the playground, and you can see that the rocks littering the ground aren't rocks at all, but naked human forms, horribly disfigured. They seem to be either growing into or from the ground, I, I can't say which, and they are very much alive. Behind the monkey bars, a tree can be seen with a human face growing from the trunk. Its features are writhing and contorted in agony. The scene suddenly shifts to a white-collar office where the children's father is stooped over a desktop, typing away. His features are as sunken and deceased as that of the other family members, and the office is covered in a green glow. In the other cubicles, fleshless corpses sit upright at their desks, frozen in death. Finally. We see the family return home for the evening, walking through the front door together. Their skin is no longer simply jaundiced, but actually melting off. 
dripping from their outstretched arms and running down their faces in drops. As they are literally falling to pieces, the family sits down in the dining room and begins to wordlessly eat dinner. Their flesh becomes more and more amorphous, ribbons of skin dangling from their bodies like the tendrils of an octopus. I can barely describe it, but they somehow begin to merge with the chairs they are seated on, or rather their skin grows over them. By now, their skin has the consistency of melted ice cream, and they are barely recognizable as human, except for their eyes, which somehow remain intact. The camera zooms closer and closer to the table, and finally their eyes all move directly towards the camera, conveying a feeling of unfathomable sadness. The screen goes black, and large white letters appear on the screen. Report to the nearest shelter immediately. Remaining at private residences is strictly prohibited. And with that, the screen turned to static. I stared in stunned silence for a few minutes before the banal local channel switched back on. And that's all I know, really. I almost thought I was dreaming until the paper reported the story the next day. God knows what really happened. A ridiculously elaborate prank? An ill-advised viral marketing campaign? The crazier parts of the internet have their own theories. You can look up the video yourself if you're morbidly curious. And that was Broadcast Interruption. Uh, credited only from 4chan. Uh, what did you think, Katie? Well, her storytelling is so um, well told. Yeah. Uh, so this was a really interesting one. I kind of like it. Like, I almost got a um, uh, a Max Headroom vibe from it almost uh which is a really creepy thing that happened um a long time ago which i'm not going to get into but if you if if you don't know what max headroom is look it up and look up the video it's actually fucking terrifying so all right and our next creepy pasta is the note uh also trigger warning uh, this does have uh, some self-harm in it, so FYI, if you're not about that, then uh, don't listen to this. This is credited to Deloesian, so here we go. This is a love story. Please try to remember that as you read this love. It's really about Julie. I knew from the moment I set eyes on her that I'd do anything to have her. Fortunately though, I didn't have to work very hard. I could see it in her eyes the first time I talked to her and asked her out. She wanted me and she said yes before I even finished asking. Her eyes sparkle like diamonds. It's one of my favorite things about her. We were quick to say I love you only a few dates in, but 
We were sure. My place is full of my idiot friends, and we've started talking about getting a place of our own. My best friend Greg doesn't get along the best with her, and isn't very happy about me moving out, but he understands. We all hang out together sometimes, see movies, bowl, normal stuff like that. Well, I got a call a couple nights ago from Julie's parents, who live out of state. They said they got a call from the police that Julie had been in a car accident. Drunk driver crossed the center line. What a cliche, right? Anyway, I was panicked out of my mind, speeding like crazy to the hospital when Julie called me on my cell. I could hardly believe my eyes when I saw her name on the caller ID. I answered the phone, not quite letting myself get my hopes up just yet. After all, it could have been someone calling me from her home. Relief washed over me like rain when I heard her voice. Baby, I'm okay. It wasn't that bad, just some bumps and bruises. The airbags and seatbelt did all the work. Are you okay? I don't mind admitting. I pulled over and cried for a long time. She said she was checking out of the hospital shortly and I could pick her up there. When I got to the hospital, I had myself pretty well composed. I walked in and was just making my way to the help desk when I heard her call my name. I turned around and saw her. The sparkle was out of her eyes, which wasn't that surprising, I thought, considering what had happened, but otherwise seemingly none the worse for the wear. I completely lost what composure I thought I had. I broke down again and we held each other and she slid her hand onto the back of my neck and into my hair like she does when I'm upset, and after a minute or two we made our way to my car. Julie told me the drunk driver had been killed and I thought, good, better him than Julie. And I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. I would have killed him myself if I could have. But she was okay and that was all I cared about then. When we got back to my place, no one was home and the house was dark, which was odd since there was almost always someone home and those idiot roommates of mine always forget to kill the lights when they leave. Julie was feeling a little shaky and she looked a little pale so we cuddled up under some blankets and fell asleep almost immediately. It had been a day after all. I remember the last thing she said to me as we were falling asleep. I'll love you forever, baby. I called into work the next day to stay home with Julie. She was feeling pretty stiff. Again, not surprising. I had some missed calls from family and friends. No doubt they'd heard what happened and were checking in. I'd get back to them later. Maybe it was just the accident or that I hadn't seen Julie without makeup and... ever. But she didn't look very good. I mean, her color was off and her eyes looked slightly hollow. And the sparkle still wasn't there. I suggested taking her back to the hospital, but she insisted she was fine, just tired and sore. Well, a couple more days went by, and I told work I was staying home with Julie until she was feeling better. But she wasn't getting better. Her eyes were the worst of it, more hollow all the time, and her skin was downright cold to the touch. It was getting to the point where I was going to bring her back to the hospital whether she wanted to go or not. And that was when I got the phone call. It was Julie's mom. She had been crying and was clearly making an effort to stay composed. Julie's service was to be held the day after tomorrow, she said. I asked her what she was talking about. Service for what? I was confused. Julie walked up to me as I stood on the phone. She was looking right into my eyes when her mom said, 
I know this is hard for you. It's hard for all of us. But Julie's gone and we can't bring her back. We all loved her, but she's gone. I still didn't understand until I saw the look of horror in Julie's eyes. She knew. This whole time, she knew. She didn't survive the accident, yet somehow she was here, and suddenly I understood. Her eyes, hollow and sunk in, the sparkle gone, her skin cold and discolored. She was dead, and I was watching her slowly decay. My stomach dropped, and I felt myself fall. Julie caught me, and I felt her cold hands, and felt the coldness for what it was. Death. I heard her mom on the phone, a tiny voice calling my name over and over. I picked up the phone and told her I was listening. Julie silent the whole time. Her mom repeated that the service was the day after tomorrow, and her body would be cremated at noon the next day. Numbly, I told her okay, and thanked her, and told her I'd see her then. I hung up the phone, and Julie and I just stared at each other for a long time. There was no doubt now. I was looking at someone who was not alive. Eventually, I said one word. How? She said she didn't know, and she didn't care. And you know what? Neither did I. She came with me to the service, and it wasn't like what happens in the movies where people walk through her like she's not there or anything like that. They couldn't see her. That much was obvious. But somehow no one bumped into her. And when they made space for me, it seemed they made space for her too. Although they didn't seem to know they were doing it. When I talked to her parents, she was with me. Silent but strong, for me. When I viewed her body, she was with me. Her hand, cold now, so cold. Finding that spot on my neck. She looked exactly as she always had. Beautiful, healthy. But I knew it was makeup and artificial. Underneath, she would look exactly like the Julie that had her cold hand on my neck. It was a hard thing looking down at her, but she was so supportive and I knew this was why I loved her and couldn't be without her. We left and went back to my place. My roommates were home but stayed out of our way as we went to my room. That night we didn't sleep, we just held each other and I didn't care at all how cold she was. We cried and talked, <laughs> laughed at the funny memories and cried more. We didn't talk about what was happening or what was going to happen. As darkness began to lose the battle and light filled the sky, a horrifying thought occurred to me, and somehow I knew it would be true. I was seeing Julie as she was, I mean, literally, seeing her as her body was. And she was set to be cremated at noon. Do you understand she was to be burned until nothing would be left but ash? And I would have to watch it happen. 
I was on the phone immediately to her parents, to the funeral home, to her church. No one would listen. They all thought it was grief. I felt rage and despair building inside of me and was about to completely break down when I felt her hand on my neck in that spot. And she turned my head so I was looking into her eyes, now very hollow and turning grotesque. She told me it was okay. It was okay. She told me she would love me forever and I knew in that moment what I was going to do. Those last few hours as we watched the sun come up and what became a beautiful day. We watched clouds turn into funny shapes. As noon approached, I made an excuse to go to my closet and then we waited. When noon hit, we were both crying again, but nothing happened. We were just starting to wonder what that meant when I saw the look in her eyes. Just as before, she knew. She felt it before I saw it. She told me it didn't hurt. It doesn't hurt, baby. She began to smoke and her hair caught on fire. A cold calm set over me and I took her tight into my arms. The flames began to burn me too. She tried to push me away, to protect me. She fought my hold, but her strength was fading. I could feel the flames now burning into me, but I didn't care. I wouldn't let her go through this alone, and I didn't need to live much longer anyway. We didn't scream. We just sat there together and burned. Her hair was gone, and her face and skin turned black, and I held her tighter to my chest. I told her I'd love her forever and that I'd see her soon. I held her until she was ash in my arms and she fell through my fingers. I reached for what I had taken out of the closet and suddenly she was gone. Not a trace of her left. No ash remained anywhere. Nothing was burned. Even my own burns were gone. Was it grief? Did I imagine the whole thing? Was she ever here? I don't know. But I wrote this so my family and friends know why I had to do this. I won't stay here without her. I can't. I'll find her somehow, and the sparkle will be in her eyes again. And everything will be okay, and like it was. I'm sorry about this, Mom. Dad. But I hope you understand. I'm going now. I hope I don't get blood on this. Mmm, so, what did we think of that story? Digitally Spliced Katie. That That's goals for me. I want to get to that point of just, just fucking over it. Yeah, uh, this was... This was really interesting. I mean, I really got it uh, pretty much like that she was going to be dead. But um, I like the added layer of um, sort of watching her decompose um, as she really was. So that was really interesting. Um, It was a good story. I like this one a lot. I think we have time for one more story. We just have so much shit that we have to talk to you guys about. 
uh, we are going to dive into the beings and entities category of the Creepypasta website. This next Creepypasta is called I Need Some Bread and Cereal Too. You get a call from your mother. Since her car has been in the shop, she asks you to go to the grocery store and pick up a few odds and ends for her. Bread, milk, cereal, and chicken breasts. After writing down a small list, you reluctantly get in the car and pick up the items at the store. The lady cashier makes an odd remark to you. You know, we're in no danger of a milk shortage. Upon arriving at her house, you knock several times. No answer. You decide to try the door. It opens. You place the grocery bag on the counter. Strange. There seems to be six other grocery bags, each with identical contents. In a couple, the chicken and the milk has gone bad. Mom? You call out, but no answer. You make your way through the kitchen and into the living room. Sitting on the couch, with her head cut off and neatly resting on her lap, is your mother. Naturally, you call the police who come over to investigate. They mention that she has been dead for nearly a week. Furthermore, the police psychiatrist is at the scene and talks to you after giving your initial statement. Sitting on the front steps, you overhear the psychiatrist talking with the crime scene investigator. It's not uncommon for people suffering from schizophrenia to get locked into a series of repetitive behaviors, he says. You think to yourself, they, they can't be talking about me. Schizophrenia? Nah. Repetitive behavior? Did, do they think I did this? Suddenly your phone goes off. Hello? It's me. Could you stop at the store and pick up some chicken and milk? Oh, and I need some bread and cereal, too. No problem, Mom. I'll be right over. I really like this. Uh, I really like this creepypasta. This was uh, pretty cool. It's really short. Uh, it's sweet to the point. Um, I like the idea of just being locked in a repetitive motion. Something about, like, I can fully visualize the the grocery bags with, like, the rotted meat and milk and whatnot. And that just gives, like, a really twisted sort of uh, take on it. And, yeah, I quite enjoyed that one. Uh, Katie? I love it. It's great. Kenny and I are both uh, big fans of food. Yeah. So... <laughs> All right, guys, so that is our non-episode for you. I really hope you uh, enjoyed a couple of these creepypastas. Uh, we will return with uh, uh, a regular episode uh, very soon. So uh, until then, stay spooky. Stay spooky.